right, welcome to the today's episode on the Inside Tech podcast. Uh, me and Rika have today a guest talking with us about uh, batteries and recycling of them. Uh, Arne Sieger from Stena. Welcome, Arne. Thank you, Kari. Thank you for having me. Maybe uh, you can introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, what do you do in Stena? Yeah, uh, let me start by I'm Arne. I'm, I'm living in Hamburg. That's in northern Germany. And I'm 38 years old, have two kids and wife. So you have uh, the person who's talking a little bit in a frame. Um, I've been working in the recycling industry with a company called Stena. Stena is a recycling company from Sweden. It's based in Gothenburg. It's a family-owned company. And um, I basically returned to Stena after being uh, away for two years. And uh, I have an expertise in electronics recycling. And I've been doing sales and production uh, as the two roles mainly. And sales meaning selling service contracts for getting rid of your waste. Production meaning uh, taking care of the machines together with the uh, the fitters, the electricians, and uh, uh, doing that for three different plants in Germany. And Stena has sold these three plants in Germany uh, about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, and has refocused uh, in the last two years, uh, has started before selling uh, on lithium-ion battery recycling. So this is my role in the last one and a half years full-time and before uh, part-time when we're still doing the electronics recycling. Yeah, the batteries is interesting, new, and they're recycling them, new business. Uh, I think Rika has a little bit of the background on the batteries and how they are expected to develop as a market. As this is a podcast about e-mobility, so for sure we will talk about battery at some point. Batteries are the most expensive part of an EV. Typically, they count for about 30% to 40% of the failure of the EV. And as more people buy electric vehicles nowadays, the demand for batteries has shot up by 65%. I have some data here. So the increase is from around 300 gigawatt hour in 2021 to more than 500 gigawatt hour in 2022. Uh, but there's this saying that I read somewhere, batteries are the Achilles heel of electric vehicles. They pose a problem. These batteries are tough to repair, reuse, or recycle. Making the batteries also means using up important resources like lithium and water. So when you ask the question, are electric vehicles really eco-friendly? The answer is not really that direct because it depends on how we manage these downsides associated with their batteries. So, which is exactly what uh, Arne is doing in Stetna, which is managing the batteries recycling. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, yeah, because yeah, definitely like there's a uh, raw materials for batteries. Of course, there's new technologies with different raw materials, but also the recycling. And as far as I've understood, Arne, that uh, actually like the battery recycling itself is not uh, yet that ready infrastructure around there. Is that right? That is right. And it's especially right in Europe and in the uh, northern and southern America. You can see that battery recycling has been around uh, for lithium-ion batteries um, in Europe and in China for quite a while, and also in South Korea. But uh, there is two things. You can recycle a battery to something, to some raw material that you can use somewhere. Uh, and you could recycle it to uh, to salts being 99, usually 0.95% clean. Uh, and then you could use them in batteries again. So the requirements, and I only have one example on top of my head where you could deliver it, for example, cobalt. 
mineral we might talk about again, but cobalt can be used uh, in the color industry as a pigment and, and the cobalt salts. But it, then it doesn't have to be as clean. But if you want to put it again in a new battery with the NCM chemistry, that would mean you have to clean up 99.95%. And that infrastructure to clean it up to that level, that doesn't exist in Europe. And we call it PCAM and CAM. That stands for Precursor Cathode Active Material and then Cathode Active Material Manufacturing. And as of today, um, maybe I'm a bit limited, but I don't know anyone who's doing these two steps in Europe at scale. There's for sure a lot of research and a lot of companies trying it. But what we have today is a lot of uh, companies like Stena that offer collection services and uh, uh, prepare the batteries for the recycling. And then uh, some companies that go the step further in mechanical shredding and so on that you see all over the world. And then if you want to see all the rest of the chain uh, followed by metallurgy processes, uh, you, you have a few in Europe. And then the last two steps, PCAM and CAM, you only find them in Asia uh, at a larger scale, let's say. And I think a little bit in Japan, uh, a little bit more in South Korea, and by far the most in China. And they are now expanding these processes also to uh, to southern Chinese, uh, Southeast Asian countries like Thailand and Malaysia. So uh, did I did you say just that the Stena that what you offer is basically your co organizing the collection and so on, and then you move forward to the some other uh, operator kind of to process the batteries or how it works for you at the moment? Yeah, and just this year we have opened. So the first step is collection. You need a special truck. It's uh, it's a set of laws in Europe. It's called the ADR. That's for hazardous goods or uh, sorry, dangerous goods on the road. And then you have the hazardous waste regulation that, for example, limits that you cannot cross a country, not even in Europe, uh, before declaring it to authorities and getting approval. But uh, Stena is doing that with the trucks and getting the approvals and, and moving the waste to where it belongs, uh, to the proper recycling channels. And in 2023, we opened our first mechanical treatment line. And that means um, you take a battery apart. Let's say you have a, a housing, you have some wires inside. You discharge all that, you take it all apart. But the actual batteries, the cells inside, those you put on that mechanical line and you shred them. And in the line, we take out, for example, copper, aluminum, uh, plastics, and the electrolyte that is in. The electrolyte is the, the thing that makes the battery a little bit dangerous. When that's out, um, then the, I'd say the risk of fire is uh, is very, very close to zero. And then the remaining fraction is what we call the black mass. And that contains the most valuable metals. That's where you find for sure lithium. And then uh, depending on what you put in, uh, you find cobalt and nickel and manganese. And that we cannot recycle ourselves. So you have a, a mixture uh, which has a lot of carbon black inside and uh, a little bit of residue from uh, copper and aluminum uh, from the process before. You always like one or two percent uh, stay inside. And then you have the other nice things that you want that can only be taken out in, in hot processes. They are either carb uh, hydrometallurgy or pyrometallurgy. That's the step we don't have in Stena and we also don't intend to build one. Uh, to give some scope um, to make a, a facility that can accept batteries and uh, store them. You're in for a few years of permission and you invest a few million euros. And when you want to make a recycling line that has a mechanical that opens the batteries and produces this black mass, you would typically uh, pay something between 10 and 20 million. Uh, Stena has uh, done a little bit more, but we also added a few machines to get cleaner fractions. 
but let's say 10 to 20 million. Um, but if you want to go hydrometallurgical treatment, then you reach hundreds of millions of investment. And that's why uh, you really check the market, how much does exist uh, in your area. And it seems that there's a lot of investment going on all over the world, uh, especially in China, the US and Europe. When, when do you think that there is a capacity to kind of recycle the whole battery efficiently in Europe, for example? I guess at the moment there is not capacity or technology in place to recycle completely the battery. Yeah, it it's not possible. There's some interesting uh, trials going on, and I think a few of them will go through and a few will, will stop. I think it will take easily 10 years from now until we have what we call a closed loop uh, inside Europe. We can close a loop today, but it usually requires us uh, to send to someone. The hydrometallurgical treatment you can still have in Europe, that could be a company like Umicor or Fortum uh, from Finland, or uh, BISF will soon open such a plant as well in uh, in a bigger scale. But between that and a new battery, there's still the other two process steps that need to be done somewhere else, as as far as I know, let's say. Um, and I think that will be in Asia for quite a while. But the Asian companies, they are looking, um, I mean, if you look at Germany, you have a cell factory called CATT. That's a subsidiary of CATL. So the biggest uh, cell manufacturer of the world sits in the middle of Germany. And they are currently uh, importing the foils um, that they need for producing the cells from China. But they would like to make the foils in Germany. And when you make the foils in Germany, the next step would be to also do the last step, the CAM step in Germany. and uh, Or at least, let's say, maybe around Central Europe somewhere where energy cost is maybe a bit lower than in Germany. But um, these companies might be the ones taking that technology over from China and bringing it to Europe to save logistics costs, while European startups are at the same time trying to get it right and starting it from scratch. Um, but that usually has much smaller scale. So um, you would talk about a few thousand tons versus uh, usually 100, at least 10,000, but more like 100,000 tons if if an Asian player is planning something in Europe. Yeah. So, but to answer the, the question, 10 years, I would say. Yeah, yeah the handling the batteries is, uh, yeah, requires a lot of investments, even the transportation, like you mentioned, is uh, because of, yeah, old batteries or even possibly damaged batteries, they might be a little bit dangerous to transport, so it requires plenty of arrangements. So who are your actually like a typical customers for Stena at the moment when you are collecting the batteries? Yeah, a typical customer could be a Volvo, uh, Volvo cars or Volvo trucks or Volvo uh, CE construction equipment. That's the, you know, the the headquarters in Sweden. Uh, there's uh, a lot uh, already being taken care of in terms of waste. There's a program. It's called Total Waste Management, but you call it, uh, you, you could call it just take all the waste from a factory, industrial waste. So you just have one partner, one portal where you order your trucks and your your skips and so on. Uh, and factories all over Sweden and Poland and also Finland um, and Norway, Denmark can do that with Stena. In Germany, typically it would be Remondes or in France, it would be Veolia. So the, the, the big recyclers that are known and they use these sales relationships to just add on the truck that takes away the batteries. Now, where's that truck going? In if you if you order it from Stena, it would actually go to Stena because 
Uh, Finland has just opened the first battery uh, storage and acceptance facility where we dismantle and, and discharge batteries. And uh, Norway is in the process of opening one. The one in Sweden is already running for two years and has just been upgraded now with the mechanical line. And in Denmark, I think we are also running for nearly two years by now. Same in Germany. So in Germany uh, is the only country, um, I have to say that because I'm, I'm uh, uh, doing the job here, where we don't have own trucks and where we would not be able to offer this total waste management service, where we are not the one that handles also the paper waste and the residual waste and so on. Uh, in Germany, we would be the one uh, that actually someone else might send the batteries to. So um, if you had some, you could order it from us to get picked up and we would ask a logistics company to transport it to us. Or you go to your usual waste handler, uh, could be Ramondes, and you ask them, can you can you take batteries? And I might say, yeah, that's close to, to Stena's place. We will transport it to Stena for you. So these are basically the two ways. Um, that's what can happen when you want to get rid of some old batteries. Let's talk a bit about regulation. Uh, I think I read somewhere that uh, there is this new set of recycling guidelines for batteries from the EU government. Uh, and the target is going to be a lot more um, strict from today. I think currently 50% of the battery weight must be recycled and by 2030 it will be increased to 70%. And also I read that around 90% recycling rate for materials like cobalt and copper will be required from 2025 or 2026 onwards. I think uh, you are aware about this, right? But uh, how do you see this? Like, are these targets attainable? And is the, uh, is the recycling industry actually ready for these requirements? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um... And you, you said the recycling rate, and that is calculated for batteries um, in a way where you where you compare weights uh, yes. and you only accept material recycling. So it means the you cannot uh, use the energy contained in organic material. You cannot incinerate it and generate electricity or heat. That would not be considered a percentage, let's say. And looking at a battery and uh, let's say looking at a battery cell, which is... Um, in most cases, what we can get as a recycler, where we are measured on, um, there is electrolyte and there is, is carbon inside uh, in form of graphite. And these two fractions are quite interesting because as of today, 50% uh, we can reach, um, but we can just about reach that. And the keys to getting more is to be able to recycle the electrolytes, but not burn it and to recycle the uh, graphite and not burn it. And that's a quite tricky part because we haven't found ways yet to uh, to get the material back. Uh, you could call it a, a form of downcycling. You know, you burn it, you get, you get heat and you, you get electricity depending on where you burn it. Um, but you don't really get the material back yet. And as far as I know, there's no one uh, getting all of it back. You always have some losses. And that's the other part that you mentioned because the EU is mainly looking on critical resources, and I think that graphite, I'm not sure, but uh, I think that graphite and electrolyte are not very high on that list, but for sure nickel and cobalt are, and lithium. So that's why the EU would like to have tougher targets really specific to these elements being inside the batteries. And those targets uh, are really easy to attain because everyone right now in the recycling industry 
uh, is getting paid quite a lot of money by the downstream processes, so by the buyers, that could be the uh, PCAM and the CAM manufacturers for batteries, um, so that you can basically pay your whole process by the revenues from these fractions. So it is really natural to try to upgrade it as much as possible, get especially cobalt and nickel out as much as possible. But lithium has seen a big rise and a huge fall. I think it had had a peak last year around spring and it dropped down dramatically from then, but it is still worth uh, quite a lot, uh, something around $20,000 per ton. Um, and so that's quite a high value if you compare it to something other high value that would be copper it's around eight thousand dollar per ton so it's higher than copper and companies in other realms of recycling they they love to look for copper and to put it a bit in perspective to steel quite a, a common commodity that you can trade all over the world that would be around 300 uh, us dollar per ton so that's where uh, where these metals are priced much much higher and that means the recyclers will do a lot of research and a lot of strain perfecting their machines and uh, designing new machines to get more lithium, more cobalt, more manganese, and uh, more nickel out. So I think these are for sure attainable. We have to find ways to get the recycling up, recycling rate up to 70%. I'm not so sure that we will do it, but I think we have quite some time left. I, when was it, Rika? What did you say? It's uh, for the lithium 70% by 2030. And for the other, uh, like cobalt, copper, and nickel, uh, is 90% recycling rate from 2026 onwards. So yes. it's not it's not too long from now. But it sounds it sounds achievable to me. Um, and what you do is you consider that you you can transport it to Asia and you can have it refined with the normal losses that we see today. It's already attainable in my my point of view. I don't know a few things. For example, you have a company called Umicore and uh, the lithium goes into, uh, as far as I know, into fly ash. So how much of that can be recovered? They do recover it. And um, I don't know the percentages there. So that might be a little bit of a strain, but the processes that are being constructed are usually hydrometallurgical treatments where you, where you get the, le uh, the lithium in leaching. Um, that is sometimes a, a good way. Sometimes it also has some drawbacks. It needs better material inbound, better black mass. But uh, with these hydrometallurgic plants, it's for sure attainable. All right, that's interesting. And yeah, it's uh, obviously like the effort to develop the technology is driven by the raw material prices. And and the yeah, I think Rika has some insight about how the battery prices are expected to develop. I think Anna mentioned it already that. Uh... It was quite a big news when uh, we talk about the downward trend of battery price. The price went up some time ago during the pandemic, but it's going down steadily now. And some prediction mentioned the cost will fall up 47% by 2030. How will that affect your business or the industry in general? It affects especially uh, the really first step after transport before you go into recycling. Um, there is a a little chance that a battery gets reused, especially if it's a car battery pack and not a small cell. The bigger the battery and the, the more uh, of its SOH, state of health, it still has. We measure that really basic in terms of the residual capacity. There's super many metrics that you could measure, but let's say out of the original um, 
68 kilowatt hours of a battery, you still have something like 62. So roughly uh, 90% is still in. Then that would mean it's good enough SOH for reuse. And the cheaper new batteries get, the less these reusable batteries are attractive. Um, and we can see today that for energy storage systems, I would consider that a downcycling because the strain on the battery is less than in a car. Um, but we can use it in a different energy application called uh, energy storage. And quite a lot of these packs that we get in today are reusable. Uh, some companies draw a line at 80% SOH, some draw a line at 75 and the hardcore guys, they draw the line at 70% SOH of a, of a pack. And then they, they set it up in a less strainy environment. And by that, I mean, if you, if you run a car, you charge and discharge your car quite fast sometimes, and you set the energy storage systems up so that they don't discharge, they cannot discharge as fast and also not charge as fast. Uh, so the battery has more cycles left than if it would have stayed in a car. And um, that is, I mean, you, you get paid maybe half of the price of a new battery at the moment if you if you are delivering a good battery above 80% SOH. The only thing you have to do is properly test it. That's not easy in itself, but uh, assuming you can test it and you can uh, put a, uh, a report on it. Um, this price, when that goes down below uh, a threshold where the person doing the tests um, and that could take a day uh, on one battery pack. It, there's quick tests as well, but it's sometimes a bit tricky to get to the battery in, in the right place. Let's say maybe half a day for one person. If, if the price is less than a few hundred euros in Europe, then you would probably stop doing the reuse uh, at all and everything would go to recycling. So that is a, an effect in the recycling industry that you see coming in from, uh, from, from the price of a new battery. The market is quite interesting, like the batteries have been recycled before, but now through the electric vehicles, there is a more and more market, let's say, for recycling also, and demand is growing constantly, and many existing operators, Tena is uh, investing there, and there you mentioned there's startups coming in. How do you see the kind of competition, like it's now everybody is trying to find their spot in the chain, and market uh, what they want to grab with the investments but how do you see the competition at the moment in the battery recycling business yeah it's been a run uh onto the markets uh from some companies in the last years it's slowed down a little bit um and i can of course i'm looking at the german market quite a lot and i'm hearing from my colleagues about uh, finland fortum is an example and and sweden in sweden you have revolt it's it's a company run also by Northvolt. Northvolt is a cell factory that has opened in, in a town that I can't pronounce in northern Sweden. Uh, it's called uh, Schleftjör or similar. And Revolt is slowly moving onto the market. That's a thing where a cell factory brings their own internal recycler to the market. Um, the same is going for CATL. They have their own recycler, but it's not in Germany yet. It is doing the job for CATL, the recycling job, already in China. And it might come, but for now, uh, they are waiting. They're waiting how it develops. So we can see that in, in Europe, uh, there is a move from OEMs of cells and also from OEMs of cars to establish own recycling capacity. Mercedes-Benz has done so in Germany and Volkswagen has done so. And as I just said, for, for the battery packs, uh, Northvolt is doing that and some other th others are thinking about it. But uh, 
I believe a little bit more competition because it, it's coming to market faster is done by a company called Lifecycle and by the medium-sized uh, companies, especially uh, around the countries that are known for their waste handling in those countries already. Stena is, is a big one. The big ones usually move a bit slower. You can see that Alba hasn't announced anything. Veolia is, is a bit slow to move out of France. They have something in France, but not much more. And Stena is rolling it out in all the seven countries Stena is in. Then there is a lot of companies that have been there. And a company that I'm happy that we have it, it's called Accurec in Germany. They are on the forefront of developing these processes and they are really, really good at what they are doing. They are increasing capacity. So they are there, but uh, they are rebuilding and trying to take more volume from the market and a new players moving in we have just seen one uh, open or build and announce the capacity of 20,000 ton in germany we have players trying to move in from south korea um into europe uh in germany one one called sang il is trying it in germany has already established in hungary so that there is a high interest in grabbing these future volumes at the same time uh, we can see that there's a lack of recyclable batteries on the market so what all companies are trying to do is uh, grab a share of the production waste. Um, and our internal prognosis um, right now, uh, it was a bit different two years ago, but right now is that until roughly 2030, maybe even 2032, the production waste that is mainly the waste from a factory that would produce cells is, is more all over Europe than old batteries. And then I would say, uh, EV car batteries especially, but also taking into account construction equipment that could be a wheel loader, could be a, a crane, could be a forklift truck. Uh, combine all these big battery packs, all those together, they will wait another nearly 10, maybe like eight to 10 years until they become the same amount of waste uh, as the production waste we see from the European factories. So a lot of uh, us recyclers are looking for the production waste to fill the factories in the first 10 years and then later to switch over to these actual battery waste that we are here for. You mentioned that like the yeah, cell manufacturers, car manufacturers and so on are also investing in this area. Who is actually like kind of uh, to meet the recycling requirements? Who is actually responsible to arrange, let's say when the EV is built, the battery is installed, who is supposed to make sure that there is a proper kind of a infrastructure in place and the process to get the battery in the recycling at the end of the life cycle of the vehicle. Yeah, to me, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that it's always the, um, oh no, I need to find that English word, but the company that puts it on market. So if you are a cell uh, and a pack producer, a battery pack for a car, you don't really put it on the consumer market, you sell it B2B to another company that is the car OEM. They install it in their vehicle and they sell the car to a consumer. So they are the ones putting it on the market, on that B2C market. And they have the responsibility to take it back. To some extent, these production wastes are out because if you run a factory and you have a lot of production waste, let's say a typical uh, gigafactory as of today in Europe would have uh, 10 gigawatt hours production capacity. There's bigger ones, there's smaller ones, um, but let, let's let's say 10. I would assume there's a few thousand, maybe 3,000 tons of battery uh, material waste coming out each year. And that would be, I mean, an average pack might be 500 kilos at the moment, maybe a little bit less, but that, that could be like uh, 600,000 car battery packs coming out of a, of a medium-sized gigafactory in terms of scrap. And they, because that is 
factory scrap that is of course not the responsibility of the car OEM that wants the battery later they have to take care of it themselves um, as industrial waste and they can do that themselves or hire that out for cars um, it's in my point of view it's the the car uh, dealer that that gives the car out but uh, in most cases if you have a dealership um, they have a contract with their OEM and uh, the OEM will take care of the recycling of the batteries because uh, you know the, the place where you buy the car they probably cannot handle that yeah because yeah I was really thinking that because yes yeah, now there is of course uh, valuable materials where it makes sense uh, to invest in the recycling building the plants and so on to handle the and get those valuable materials but when the recycling requirements go more, more tighter and it might be actually a cost to reach those in part of the certain materials i was thinking who will be kind of the one who carries the responsibility but yeah it's the, the final who sells it to the consumer yes there is a little fight but it uh, from the oem side the thinking is um i need to in the future put into a new battery, I need to make sure that I have some raw materials I can put in there that are recycled. So in Europe, there's a belief that uh, getting a contract that gets you the hands on the material of a recycler is more valuable even than raw material, which might be cleaner and better for a new battery, but it doesn't help you fulfill these requirements. I think they start um, in 2031 when you have to put into new batteries recycled materials. That's for uh, for cobalt, lithium, and nickel only, um, they will they will be trying to secure that. But today, looking at the prices now, because you said the, the price might get higher, I think it's exactly the other way around. Europeans have you now we're coming from small, trying out high energy costs in Europe, high labor costs in Europe, and uh, small scale, so little economy of scale production lines. Uh, we actually charge our customers to give us valuable material. I mean, the money ends up in an energy company. Uh, by the way, Uniper had a massive earning, you know, so they, they have been selling energy at a really high price in, in Germany, for example, um, but also in, in the employees' hands because we all have to learn how to handle these batteries and we are really slow at doing the learning, but also doing the operations, very high safety standards that uh, keep you doing things thoughtful and slow. Um, so we actually charge today and we don't make a profit uh, on top of that. So it's basically a zero game and we are hoping that we become faster and by that start earning money while in the back end, we're still selling quite valuable metals, um, to companies all over the world. And, uh, if you look into China, it's kind of a five years, look five years into the future in Europe and the U S then you can see that depending on the chemistry, you either get paid a little for your battery if it's a low value chemistry, or you get paid quite a lot for your battery, if it's an NCM or even an LCO chemistry. And we're really far from that in Europe. And there's, I mean, it, that phase is passed, but there was some astonishment by most Asian players that it's not being paid in, in Europe, but that you have to pay to get rid of your material. But it's still the case. Um, now, with these players coming, the, the Asian players coming into the market, investing, building bigger lines, having more capacity, the Europeans learning how to do it, the, the Americans learning how to do it, then of course the prices will turn around and go into, from a recycler's perspective, negative. So we will buy material and actually pay for that and still earn enough to, to cover the cost of the operation. It's interesting indeed, and at least in your market, what is easy to predict is the incoming volume increase because you can see how much the EV batteries are sold every year and you have 
you can have a guess like when they would be recycled afterwards. Exactly. Uh, is there uh, like some like specific uh, trends currently in the industry or the technologies which are coming up which you are especially like waiting or looking forward to? Absolutely. Um, let's say for recycling, um, a few people might have heard about that company called Lifecycle from Canada. And the whole world uh, of recycling is, is looking at them because what they do, they take a hole or they can take a whole car battery and throw it into a submerged shredder. Submerged means inside that shredder, there is a, a fluid. It's mostly water, but additives inside. So if that battery is still charged, it has a lot of energy content. If you would shredder that in air, it would basically give a huge fire and some explosions. Uh, but the water inside, if you if you run it in a circle, you put a new water in and you take uh, warmed up water out and you filter uh, some things that are in the water, out of the water, you can actually throw charged batteries in there. And that's a huge advantage because you don't have to do all this manual handling before. It's it's kind of an automation. Um, but you have some negative effects from that as well because uh, you dilute some of the material you throw in there into the following processes and also quite a lot of uh, moisture that you have to work with later on. So um, everyone is looking at how good can it get? How how robust are these shredders to hold out these, these heat ups and heat downs inside? And how good can you clean up the water? How uh, how much does it save you on the manual handling cost? And basically the, the main question is, will Lifecycle prevail? Or will they, because they are applying this technology in, in many, many spots. Uh, they have just opened one in Magdeburg in, in Germany. And they have, I think, one or two in the US and one in Canada or the other way around. And uh, they are increasing all over the world, uh, the footprint. So, and they apply it again and again, the same technology, while most other players, except for one, it's called Primobius, it's rather small. All the other players, they, they are choosing the, the route of dry shredding. Ah, oh, sorry, that's not quite true. There's another player doing this wet process called Ecobat. But most players are applying the dry shredding because they say the the uh, friction coming out, this black mass that we talked about earlier, uh, that should not get wet. It's really complicated to get it dry again. And uh, we do all this hassle to take the batteries apart and discharge them before. And we pay for that uh, in manual handling uh, fees to get it then uh, to to an easier process in this in this dry version that we run. Stena is one of the dry processes. Um, so it's a big question and maybe one one wins over the other because it's 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 kind of like you know you have a combustion car and you have a you have electric car they don't they can coexist but you expect one to kind of win out and and take over more market share so it it will not be the end of everybody else but uh, this is a kind of a battle going on that uh, everybody's very interested in and we're standing on that dry side you could say and watching the wet side and i guess they are standing on their side and watching us and hoping that we will have higher costs in our production in the end. Um, so that would be a, uh, in, in the area where we are. Most technological advan uh, advancements are happening in the in the scope of hydrometallurgical processing, but that I'm really not an expert of. That's where all the startups are and where, I'm, I mean, most of the hype and most of the investment is going on. So there, there, there might be completely some new process which will take over the market later on, but time will show us. Yeah, and if you read the announcements, most surely, I mean, there's uh, a few really, really interesting uh, processes announced, and then there's a few in development in quiet that uh, that are still 
somewhere behind closed doors and have not been announced. And I'm hoping that uh, these will make it easier to uh, to recycle this black mass into into salts, uh, into clean salts that can go uh, easier into the following processes. Uh, an example could be uh, to zero. There's uh, two ladies from from the RWTH, that's a technical uh, university in Aachen. Uh, they have founded a company. They they are now in Munich and they run their pilot line. So I'm hoping that they will have success because it's it's a completely different process. Also, there's fantastic companies, uh, mostly from the US, uh, investing into this uh, hydro-metallurgical uh, topic quite a lot of money, and they have really, really good ideas, but they all haven't been tested at a high, uh, at a big scale. So they have to compete with what's there, and they will have to compete with huge economies of scale of companies like BASF that are building a huge factory in uh, Tarragona in, in Spain. And uh, I'm kind of wishing for the startups to prevail, but I'm also wishing for the economy of, of scale to kick the costs down. So eventually you can uh, you can get a battery for less and you, the companies that want the battery recycled can get that recycling for less money. Is the electric vehicle eco-friendly? And largely the issues are in the manufacturing the batteries and recycling them. And yeah, there's a lot of, you mentioned that it's using a lot of energy to process them, but also then there's alternate things where you, for example, use water and so on. So Obviously, recycling also it has own environmental questions. Is the process itself uh, efficient, and also how the side products and how well it will be recycled? How do you see that? Uh, will the kind of recycling part, environmental footprint, will it shrink significantly in the coming years? Yes, it will develop, um, and you could say that in recycling, the, the most of that footprint comes from uh, comes from energy consumption in the processes, and uh, still a lot comes from transportation of the batteries between recycling plants and so on. So that scales with the development of renewable percentage in, in the power mix of the countries we're doing that in. Looking at Sweden, it's, uh, you know, nuclear is green, so uh, nuclear water power uh, mix is very little gas uh, and oil and coal in Sweden. I think it's kind of 90% green mix over all the market. So there you have a super good footprint. Um, looking at Germany, it, uh, we've gone back to coal. So we have worsened our footprint from gas and we're around about, not sure, but 50% renewable right now. So uh, looking at the, the German footprint, it's still a little bit better than, than mining. In the beginning of last week, I talked to some uh, LCA analysts, life cycle uh, analysts, that of course, the life cycle contains more than just CO2 footprint, but CO2 footprint is the one um, that everyone is auditing right now. And I asked these guys uh, what they think, is recycling better or is mining route better in terms of energy footprint uh, or in terms of CO2 footprint? And they uh, they said, it's clearly the, the recycling is better, but it might not be as far better depending on which route you take. There's a lot of recyclers, different countries where you do it. Uh, it's either a little bit better or a lot better depending on the route you take and looking in the future it will the gap will open a little bit so the recyclers in the future will have a little bit more a little bit more or less if you will of uh, co2 needed but for sure recycling is not um, co2 free and that company that i talked about uh, earlier called acrec they have made a nice uh, nice graphic showing that but i can't uh, share it in here but there you can really see uh, step by step what's happening so a process, let's say a process of dismantling a battery pack and you take that aluminum frame out and you give it to a aluminum uh, foundry. That's energy consuming because you have someone going with their car to the company, uh, starting their work in the morning and dismantling a battery. 
and then you have uh, the lights on and you have a computer running and so on. Uh, so you have a little bit of footprint and you can calculate aluminum mining, so the, the bauxite mining and so on against that because the secondary uh, aluminum goes to that foundry and in the end comes out an, an aluminum melt that you could get from raw material. And that really, really offsets the energy of that person and his drive to work or her drive to work in the beginning. And that graphics, I mean, that, that goes even steeper when you look into cobalt and nickel. Then it's it's interesting. They they take back quite a lot of the investment that you have to do. But to get it, you have to, I mean, the, the process to get uh, cobalt and nickel out, that consumes way more energy than some manual dismantling. But, you know, the earnings are even higher. So you still have a little bit of CO2 earned, but always calculated against what if we made a new battery. So maybe the question is, can we somehow... And I, I think, Rika, you said it. Can we somehow use less? Um, maybe drive a little bit less car, maybe take a train. That would actually be much better than uh, having a lot of batteries to recycle. Who knows what kind of batteries come in the future if we are able to reduce the certain raw materials, which are the problem. Yeah, time will show us. And it was a very interesting discussion today with you. Uh, thank you for coming to our podcast. <laughs> Thanks for the invitation and uh, hope to see and hear you soon. A special offer for our listeners. We are giving you full access to statistics for 30 days by registering at statson.com with the code STATSON, spelled in uppercase S-T-A-T-Z-O-N. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Visit our website and get our Tech360 newsletters. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe, recommend the podcast to your colleagues, friends and family, and follow us on social media.